And during this uh, time on Sunday school in November, uh, we are we have uh, some different people that are going to be talking in Sunday school uh, and, and sharing with us. And last week we had Brother Kevin Tipsword, and I want to thank him for a great job last week. And this week we have Sister Shayla Jean, who's going to be helping us today, and she's going to be teaching us. So why don't you welcome her this morning as she comes today. Good morning, everyone. I want to thank um, Brother Kyle and Brother Jean and everybody else who uh, gives this opportunity. Um, I don't take it lightly. I know I would much rather be sitting where you're sitting and hearing what some of you have to say. Um, but I believe the Lord has given me um, something to speak to us about. And so I want to hear what his word says. Amen. And... Um, Brother Kevin said last week, well, I'll just talk about thankfulness and everybody else will have to pick something else. Well, I am talking about thankfulness as well, but um, something specifically, um, specifically being thankful for um, the gifts that God gives and a different aspect of that. So you're going to hear a lot about thankfulness. And we're kind of at that time of year where we do focus on thankfulness. And I think it can become a cliche. It's like, okay, well, you know, it's after October 31st. It's time to be thankful again. But really, it's only two months approximately out of the year. So that's about 17% of the year that we're really focused on. Okay, let's be thankful and grateful. So, you know, I think no matter how cliched it feels, it, it we do well to remember and to try to um, take this time to focus on being grateful and having an attitude of gratitude, if you will. And it's at this time, this 17% of the year, that I'm reminded that I need to reflect on the blessings in my life and really be intentionally grateful. Because sometimes thankfulness becomes an attitude or a mindset that's only attached to very memorable events or to once-in-a-lifetime events. Well, I'm really thankful or, you know, whatever. I'm really thankful for my house or my kids or my car or my job and this, these really big things and really memorable things. But gratitude is really best practiced as a day-to-day and sometimes a moment-by-moment discipline. And it may sound strange to call it that, but it is a discipline. Gratitude is a discipline that I have to train myself and I have to train my mind to look for and notice things to be grateful for. And really focusing on those things takes a lot of strong discipline. And I'm laughing because this happened this morning. <laughs> of all things, of course it happens. Um, the devil fell into the computer this morning. And so God bless Cheyenne because she was sitting at the other computer while I was up there griping at the text and just, you know, about to lose my Holy Ghost because I couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, I just had to take a second and say, okay, this is stupid. This is a stupid thing to lose your Holy Ghost over. Like, Lord, thank you that we have a computer. Thank you that we have media anyway that can become a headache whenever it feels like it. So I might not really appreciate it right now, and I don't really feel what I'm saying. You know, I don't, but I do think that. I'm going to say thank you, Lord, for this blessed computer that is giving me so many issues 
right now because, frankly, I am very grateful for it when it works. It's just when it's not working, it becomes very easy. This is awful. This is terrible. And that was where I was at 8.15 this morning. And I just had to take a second and say, you know what? No, we're not going to focus on that. Let's turn your eyes, turn your mind somewhere else. Yeah, there's a problem we've got to fix before 9 o'clock this morning, before 9.30, but... Let's focus on the things that we can be grateful for. And that takes discipline. It is a learned and a practiced discipline. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. It's a really good list that he gives us there. Honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. Think on those things. And it's a very familiar verse that we sometimes just spout off, but if we look at the passage surrounding it, Paul is closing out his letter to the church in Philippi, and he's taking the opportunity to leave them with some final instructions. Finally, brethren... That's his closing. I kind of think that he was, you can tell he was a Pentecostal preacher because he says, finally, brethren, and then he keeps going for several more verses. So Paul had multiple closings as well, so it just runs in the heritage of the apostolic church. But he closes with some final instructions that are both practical and spiritual, and it starts up in verse 4. His first command after he's telling them, you know, greet so-and-so, tell so-and-so hello, he says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice, be joyful. Verse five, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And then he goes into this really strange transition. He's going and telling them, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice. And then verse six, be careful for nothing. Other translations say, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We have a pattern here. Rejoice, have thanksgiving. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I think it's interesting that throughout this passage, we see a link between, and then Paul continues to emphasize, and he's bringing, he keeps bringing us back to this relationship of joy peace, and our mentality. Those three things are linked together. Verse 6, he says, take your your requests, excuse me, your worries, your situations to God. Really, if I could put it in my own words, don't dwell on something that you can't fix. Just take it to God, any request that you have. Verse 7, he says, when we do this, or after you hand over your requests, it ties into verse 7. After you've handed over your requests to God, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and your mind. But it's only after you've handed it over. And to me, if I had to describe it, and I think very visually, so to me it's a picture of a game of hot potato. Kind of, who has the potato? Who are you giving your thoughts, your worries, your cares to in this game of hot potato? And so if I take back the things that I've given to God, if I take the potato back, he can't keep me anymore because I have it. 
He cannot keep these cares from affecting and weighing my heart and mind because I have them. He doesn't. They're mine. They're not his. When I give him the potato back and say, here, you take care of it, then he can keep me because he's in control of it. But when I start taking back control of those things, he can't keep my mind in perfect peace and my heart in perfect peace. Because when my cares, my requests, my anxieties, whatever it is, whenever they're in God's keeping, he's the one holding on to them and working out the situation. So then he's able to keep things from me because he's the one calling the shots, not me. If I'm the one who's hanging out and worrying about it and I'm obsessing over my potato, my anxiety potato or whatever, then anything that I think, that's what's coming into my mind and it destroys my peace. And so when I insert my will back in, which we can do because we have free will and God's not going to step over your free will. If you want the potato back, he will give you the potato back because that's your will. And he's not going to do anything by force. It's all about submission. But if I try to take back those things that I've handed to God, then it's my responsibility now to keep my own heart and mind. I'm now responsible for my peace, not God. And I am not the God of peace. Unfortunately, I am not. Well, fortunately, some days, because I would make a mess of it. I am, but I am not. When I want to create my own peace, I'm not the God of peace and perfect peace. So I can't keep myself in perfect peace. My carnal mind cannot tap into the supernatural peace that God can give in everyday situations. I believe it's in John that, that he tells his disciples, my peace I give you, not like the world gives. There's a difference. I can have peace from the world. I can have a version of peace, but it's not perfect peace, and it won't keep me It won't keep my mind because I'm not allowing the God of peace, his perfect peace that passes all understanding, to bypass my carnal thinking. I don't allow him in. If I'm taking control of my peace, that's all I'm going to have is the peace that the world gives, the peace that I can give myself and nothing further. I need the power of the Spirit of God to line up my mind with heaven and then to keep it there to keep my mind in order with his plan and his order. Part of the formula for keeping me is me submitting my mind and my will to his plan, bringing my mind into subjection. And that's what Philippians 4, 8 says, purposely thinking on these things. You know what? I'm not going to focus on the things that are out of my control. I'm not going to focus on the things that are going to bring me anxiety and stress. I'm going to give that to God, and then I'm going to let him keep me by thinking on those things that are pure and lovely and of good report. And I believe that thinking on these things and having this discipline of uh, this mental discipline, I believe gratitude is a part of that because it's really hard to be grumpy when you're grateful. As I can personally testify for this morning, It's very hard to stay mad and angry when you're focusing on being grateful. Lord, thank you for the computer. And suddenly it starts, you know what, okay, yeah. There's a problem, but my mood starts getting better. So let me just testify to you, it's hard to be grumpy when you're grateful. So what is something that I can use as a focal point for gratitude? Because there's a lot of things, and there's a lot of ways that... um, we can go when we're talking about being thankful. 
And how, but how can I find something to be thankful for in my situation? And there were a couple of things that the Lord brought to my mind that I would like to talk about today. And in general, it's just being thankful for the present. And so it is the most wonderful time of the year when we're talking about presents. We start planning to give gifts and we all make lists so we can get the right gifts because, you know... Why do you want somebody just to give you something random? You want to make sure that they give you the right gift, so you give them a list. Um, someone once remarked on the tradition of Black Friday, and they said this, I find it very interesting that we spend one day focusing on being very thankful for the things that we have and talking about how we're very grateful, and then the very next day we will almost kill each other to get more stuff because it's on a discount. I thought, you know, that's very true. We said, we said we, we're so thankful, we're so grateful. All right, now we have to go to the store because we have to go get more stuff. And I don't have anything against Black Friday shopping. I did it once, and that was enough for me. Um, but I do enjoy watching all of the news footage about it. So um, Cyber Monday is more my, um, that, that's my jam. But it is true. We, you know, we can take this moment of the year, and there's two things that really compete this time of year, and I think they are gratitude, and then what I would call maybe gratitude or grabbiness, that, okay, let's be thankful. Now, here's all this stuff that you need to buy, but, but we're really thankful, but we really need this, but, you know, you should be grateful, but also buy all of this stuff. So it's gratitude and gratitude that are competing with each other, because really, if we were content with what we had, the economy would probably tank besides maybe the hygiene and the food departments, because you need to brush your teeth and you need to eat. But every year, and I always think about this with toys, because as a kid, it's like, I just want that toy. If I just have that, then everything will be fine. And then you get it, and suddenly something else comes out. And I, but I need that, too. And so marketing and the economy is really not built on us being content. It's built on us wanting more. And there's a lot of things that I want, but I probably don't need. And I can make a really good argument as to why, those, why I need them, but really, when I, okay, when I say, all right, let's, let's really look at this. Do you really need this? No, I probably don't. And as I focus on the things that I want, I can lose sight of the things that I already have. And I can really forget the wonder of all of that. And I begin to take it for granted, both physically and spiritually, and I was reminded of this actually last week during song service. Spiritually, we were singing No One Higher, and I was singing it forever. And, you know, it's just one that you just sing because you know the words and you're not really thinking about it. And yes, it's great. There's No One Higher. It's fantastic. But I'm not really paying attention. I mean, I am, but I'm not at the same time. I'm just singing it because I know these are the words that come next. And the line stuck out to me, gracious to forgive us. You are always with us gracious to forgive us. It's never, that line has never really registered with me. I just sing it because that's the next line in the song. But it just really struck me, the forgiveness of God is a very precious and gracious gift that I can take for granted if I'm not really thinking about it. Because I just, it's, it's a guarantee for the most part. I know if I ask for forgiveness, I'm going to forget, I'm going to get forgiveness. But it's only a guarantee because of God's great love. He is love, so therefore he forgives us. 
But the fact that I can receive that forgiveness is definitely nothing short of miraculous because I have done nothing to deserve it. Even the things that I would say, okay, yeah, this was a pretty good thing that I've done in my life. I kind of feel like Paul, my righteousness, the things that I've done right, when I compare them to God, they're still as filthy rags. If I compare them to everybody else, yeah, it might seem pretty good. Okay, you know, yeah, we're, we're doing really good. Like, look at us compared to everybody else. We're doing great. But then when we compare ourselves to God, it's just a pile of rags compared to him because he is great and holy and perfect and faithful and just. And the fact that that person who never makes any mistakes chooses to overlook and erase my failures and then bring humanity who's flawed, imperfect, and stained. Remember, this is holy, perfect, pure, faithful, and flawed, imperfect, stained. But he chooses to overlook the things that we've done wrong and bring us into relationship with him. That is very gracious. He looks at my sin and is gracious enough to say, "Mm, you know, that's okay. I forgive you. That's fine. I think sometimes we think it as a guarantee that if I say I'm sorry, somebody is just obligated to say, it's okay, because that's the nice thing to say. But sometimes it's not okay. And sometimes somebody might choose to say, you know what? You know, I accept your apology, but it's not okay. Like, I'm going to need a minute to get over this. And when I think of some things that I've done in my life and some sins, it would be completely justifiable for God to say, I'm just going to need a minute. Like, you're fine, go ahead, but I'm just going to need a minute before I give you my forgiveness. But he doesn't. Immediately, you're forgiven. That's okay. It's like you never sinned. Let's start over. Let's try again. That's okay. I forgive you when I ask. And that's just one example. I mean, salvation as a whole, sometimes I lose the wonder of that, that God who is perfect, brings me into relationship with him and wants to make me more like him and is eventually preparing a place that I can stay with him as I walk with him forever and for eternity, that he designed me for a better thing than this world. And he cares enough about me to make sure that I get that I'm a part of the original plan. And that's something that is fantastic, something that I can take for granted or just say, well, that's just how it works. That's just how God works. And it is, and it's fantastic, but I can't lose the wonder of that in saying, well, forgiveness is a guarantee. Yes, it is, but it's a fantastic guarantee, and it's something that I should never lose the, the greatness and the, um, the graciousness of God in his forgiveness. The list goes on and on. I think of God's protection, his provision, his promise of eternal life, because frankly, if he gives me the, oppor- the, the guarantee of salvation, He doesn't really have to take care of me any other way, but he does because he loves me. I think David said it best in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, starting in verse 34. This was they were, they brought in the ark and they were praising the Lord. And David wrote a song and he gave it to Asaph, his song leader, and said, we're going to sing this right now. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. I think you could just stop right there. That covers about everything. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. His mercy to me, my family, on my job, in my health, 
with my children. His mercy's covering my emotions. His mercy's holding back his judgment until I get it together. There is no end to the mercy of God. So if I can't find anything to be thankful for, thank the Lord for something that didn't happen. Thank you, God, that you did not execute your judgment while I was being an idiot. Thank you, God, that you have not come back yet. Thank you, Lord, that your mercy endures and is with me. And I love making plans. And if I'm having to plan something out with a lot of moving pieces, I like to have plan A through about plan J, maybe more. Just in case, if things don't go as planned, okay, if this happens, we have plan B. If this happens, we have plan C, and we'll keep going. There's a lot of contingency plans, just in case, so we're prepared. So when I'm planning for all the things that could go wrong, when the majority of them do not happen, I have a lot of things that I can thank the Lord for automatically because I've already planned out if this goes wrong, if this goes wrong, if this goes wrong, if this goes wrong, and I can say, Lord, thank you that this, this, and this did not happen. Yeah, this one did, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And that may sound a little pessimistic or cynical, but sometimes I do have to say, thank you, Lord, because that could have been a whole lot worse. I'm not particularly thankful for the situation, but you know what? It's not as bad as it could have been. And thank you, Lord, for your protection in that. And maybe that's a poor attempt at gratitude, but at least it's an attempt. I mean, it's better than saying, oh, everything's terrible and whatever. Well, thank you, Lord, that, you know, everything else that could have happened did not happen. It's an attempt at gratitude. Verse 35, moving on in First Chronicles. And say ye, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen. Lord, take care of your people, is what he's saying. Why? That we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. When I'm asking the Lord for the things in my life, the goal is always for his glory. And when he provides for me and makes a way, whether I've specifically asked for it or not, thank God he's given me things that I haven't specifically asked for, but I didn't realize that I needed, then it is my duty to thank him because he didn't have to take care of it. You know, he, again, I, he gives me salvation and promises. Everything else is extra. And thank God for all of the extras that he blesses us with because he loves us. And so then as he gives me that, it is my obligation to thank him. And well, that sounds a little heavy handed. Well, let me ask you this. Who would you rather buy presents for? A grateful person or an ungrateful one? We had our uh, quarterly awards day this past Wednesday and, or Tuesday, whenever it was, one of our students was their first awards day. And they were so excited. They didn't even really get like the big gifts, you know, the bit like the big ones, but they were so thankful for everything that they got. They kept coming up to my mother and to me and to all of the teachers and tell, you're, you all are so great. Thank you so much. This is, I, I needed this. I thank you. Thank you. You're the best teacher ever. I love you to the moon and back. Thank you so much. And it's just, I told my mom, I said, gifts must be their love language. Like, I don't, I don't think there's any other explanation because, but they were so thankful for the, you know, I mean, me as an adult, I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, like, here, kid, here's, you know, here's a 10 cent eraser, go for it, you know, or whatever. But they were so thankful for that gift because they didn't necessarily have to have that gift. We could have just said, yes, you made pastor's honor roll or whatever, congratulations, and no gift. And they realized that. Well, maybe they didn't realize it. Maybe they were just excited to get a gift. But anyway, I realized it that, you know, 
this gift isn't a guarantee. Yes, you achieved something, but the gift that we gave you was something just a little extra, and they were so thankful for it. And so because of that attitude, it's like, I know this kid's going to appreciate what they, no matter what we give them, they're going to appreciate the gifts that we give. And it makes you want to work harder to please that person because you know they're going to be grateful. They're going to appreciate the effort that I put in. When we feel appreciated, we're more likely to do it again. Now, God is not a human, and I realize that, but I think the principle remains the same, that gratitude is appreciated. We're grateful for gratitude, if you want to put it that way. Or gratitude is in order. It's acceptable. It's, it's what you should do. It's something, it's the appropriate response. I guess it would probably be a better way to say it. Gratitude is appropriate in our lives. Verse 36 of First Chronicles, moving on. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And the song is over. Praise the Lord. His mercy endureth forever. He is good. Lord, take care of your people that we can give you glory and thanks. And we're going to wrap it all up with blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said amen and praised the Lord. And I think it would be appropriate right now just to take a moment to remember things the Lord has done, or to notice what he's doing right now, maybe something that you have overlooked, and to say thank you, like the people of Israel took a moment to say, Lord, I remember your mercy, and I remember your goodness, and Lord, I say amen, and I thank you, God, for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, I thank you you didn't leave me where you found me, and that you're taking me to be with you. I thank you, Jesus, for your mercies. I thank you, God, for your goodness, for your protection. Thank you, Lord, for your people. I thank you for your blessings. Could we just clap our hands to the Lord and thank him? And the other present that I want to talk about, being thankful for the present. We have the gifts of God, the presence of God, the nice things that we like, but also being thankful for the present, right now. The other present that I have to recognize is my present time, and it's not a gift, but it's the moment and the space and time which I currently occupy. I guess somebody once said, you know, you, today's the only thing. Today is a gift, and that's why they call it the present. That's just clever. Um, but I want to think of it more of, not necessarily that the present is a gift, but just being thankful for the time that you're in, the season and the occasion that you're in right now. And I think my tendency, maybe it's yours as well, So, but I'm not going to assume, I'll just say that it's my tendency, is to be grateful when I feel great or when I'm looking forward to something besides what I'm in right now. We had, um, I think it was last year at Thanksgiving, my cousin um, had asked for something, I don't even remember what. I think it was a gaming console of some sort, and so he wanted the console and then he wanted games to go with it. And he had just received half of what he really wanted. He, I think he got the console, but he didn't have any games to go with it. And so then he was asking his dad, you know, right, like right now, can we, I've got money, I have my money saved up, can we go to the store and get this game that I really want? I want it, you know, I want it now. I've got the console, can we go get the game? And his dad said, if you will just, you don't need to do that, if you will just wait a couple of weeks 
it'll all you know be good. You have never heard the consternation that came about in that house when he got that answer. There was wailing, there was gnashing of teeth and weeping and everything else that you can imagine. And it kept going back and forth, and I'm sitting there just watching this because it was amusing to me. Because everybody knows why. Christmas is coming in a couple of weeks, so we know why you need to wait. But he's not picking up on it whatsoever. But, Dad, I just want to go get this game. And and just keeps going. And his dad. Well, then his dad's getting tickled and more agitated. And so they're both getting more agitated. And he's going, just, if you'll just wait, just wait. I'm telling you, you don't have to do this. You don't have to spend your money just wait a few more weeks. Eventually, somehow, they distracted him, and everything was all good. And I'm sure a couple weeks later, when he actually got the game, he was a very happy person. And it was a very amusing thing to watch in the moment, but I was thinking about it later, and it was just like the Lord helped me to understand that that's sometimes the way that I approach my walk with him, with wailing and gnashing of teeth because I want something that I don't have right now that I'm not satisfied with the gifts he's given me today. I want more or I want something else. And sometimes his answer is no, but sometimes the response is just wait. Or maybe part of it is for today. Part of that gift is for today. But the other part is not until later. And I'll spend a lot of effort, a lot of money, a lot of brain power or whatever trying to work out something now that God is saving for later. Really, you know, and I'm sure in my cousin's eyes, it seems like, man, dad's really mean. He's not letting me get this, and I really want this. I have the worst dad ever. How can he be so heartless? But he was trying to save him money. He was trying to save him effort. You know what? You've worked hard to save this money back, and we've already bought this gift for you. We have it ready and prepared for you. You just have to wait. You don't have to spend yourself trying to get what we already have prepared for you. You just have to wait. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting at verse 1, it says, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Not some purposes, every purpose under the heaven. Verse 2, a time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, boy, I like those times, and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. Verse 7, a time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And when I read those verses 1 through 8, it can get really easy to just go, okay, opposite. You know, one thing, the opposite. Okay, 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 whatever. But then verse 11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. If we look at verses 1 through 8, it's really a picture of life. There's a time for everything. It might not necessarily be what we chose for that time, but it's going to come one way or the other. It might not be by our choosing, and maybe it is. And there's a time for everything. And so verse 11, he says, He hath made everything beautiful. Every event of your life, every process of life, He has made beautiful in His time. 
Also, he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And I have found that to be true. No matter how much I think I've got God figured out, I still have a long way to go. And I always discover that right when I think, okay, this is how it works. Then, nope, (laughs) that's not how it works. And it's usually working for the best because my mind is limited. My knowledge is limited, but God's is not. There is a set time for everything that God has planned on our lives. But if we try to put our clock on God's plan, if I try to put my timetable and stick it on top of God's plan and say this all needs to move and it needs to fit in my timetable, it's not beautiful. It's not ready. It's just not ready. So when you're baking, do you ever take a cake out of the oven before it's done baking and just you know, set it on the table so everybody can admire it. You know, here's my half-baked cake. Everyone, please come and look at what I've done. It's half-baked. You know, please come and admire this wonderful, goopy mess that's sitting here. You know, maybe, why don't you taste it? Go ahead and eat it. It's half-baked, but, you know, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Go ahead and taste it and try it. It's something that I've done. It's got to be wonderful. No, we don't do that. You're not touching that cake until it's completely done because it's not ready yet. I pull it out and try to have you admire a half-baked cake, you're probably going to have me committed because, are you okay? (laughs) Like, do you know how a cake works that you have to bake it completely through? It's beautiful in its time. It's beautiful when it's done, when everything is ready and it's iced and you can eat it and enjoy it without worrying about salmonella. That's when a cake is beautiful. And God's plan works just like a cake. It's beautiful in his time, not mine. And his plan works day by day. And he lets us see the goal sometimes. He'll let you see it. This is where we're going. Here's, get your focus. Here's the big picture. But we're not miraculously transported there. I really wish sometimes that we would get the Holy Ghost, get baptized, and go straight to heaven because it would be so much easier than just, than having to live on the earth and having to do this day by day. But that's not how God works. We must walk. We're not transported miraculously from mountaintop to mountaintop, from great thing to great thing. We have to walk, and it requires trust and faith. Because if I just know, well, everything's always going to be good, I don't really have to trust God. I can just trust that everything's going to be okay, because it's all good. You know, this great thing happened, and this great thing, and if I never experience the God of the valley, then I don't really trust God, because I just know him as God of the mountaintops. I just know that there's a God when good things happen, but I need to know that there's a God when bad things happen, too. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24 says this, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope, and this is what it is, verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. I recall to my mind the mercy of the Lord, and that's why I have hope. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. This is a picture of having faith in God moment by moment. Lamentations, it's sorrowful. It's not, it's not Psalms. I mean, it's not, I mean, it is 
a song of lament is what it, they're lamenting. It's not joyous and happy and fantastic. This is something that was written at a very sorrowful time. And the, the writer says this, I recall that the Lord's mercies have not, have kept us from being consumed, that his faithfulness is there and it is new every morning. When I have nothing else to be thankful for, I can be thankful that the Lord is faithful and sure and that he is my portion and my hope. God's mercies are new every day. You don't get a weekly or a monthly or a yearly portion. All right, here's your allotment. Just make it last for however long you need. He only gives us enough for today. And you have to trust that it's going to be there tomorrow too. And spoiler alert, it will be there tomorrow too because his mercies are new every morning. So sorry to give you the end of that book, but there it is. It's going to be there. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says... Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So if he said his mercy is going to be there, it's going to be there because he doesn't turn and he is not variable. He doesn't change his mind. There's not even a hint of turning back in God. You don't ever have to question, well, is he still he's still going to be merciful. Is he still going to love me? Yes, because there's not even a hint of turning back in him. The fact is that if I try to focus on the future and I ignore the grace of God in my right now, in my present, I'm taking my portion from God for today and I'm trying to stretch it and take it somewhere that it wasn't designed to go. His mercies are designed for today. They're designed to get you through today, not tomorrow. Have you ever tried to stretch something and make it go further than was probably physically possible? I thought of I thought of several things, but one thing that I thought of is my gift wrapping escapades. I am not a, a skilled gift wrapper. I have tried to get Teresa to teach me, and she has done her best, but I'm still a work in progress, so gift bags are they are my godsend because you do the gift bags. I can do the fancy tissue paper and stick it in, and it looks really nice. But if I have to wrap a gift, it's a problem. Because I used to underestimate how much wrapping paper I needed. And now I've overcompensated and I have went the other way. And now I overestimate. So I wind up with like half a roll of wrapping paper that I'm having to try to fold into the little corner. Fold. Um, so pray for me. I'm still working on, the Lord is still working on my presentation abilities. But when I was first starting to learn how to wrap gifts, I would always wind up with one spot that was uncovered. And it could be, you know, the whole back of the, of the present or maybe, you know, just like a little square or something. But I usually always wound up with something that was uncovered. And so I'd turn the paper, you know, every, you try to like, okay, maybe if I turn the box this way, it'll actually work. And, make, you know, and I'd try and try and try to make this portion of paper fit the box that I had. But the box was too big for the portion that I had taken. It wasn't going to work. So usually one of two things will happen in this case. One, I either cut a filler piece that I just kind of, you know, paste on the back. Or two, I turn the present around where no one can see the spot that's covered up because they're just going to rip into the paper anyway, so who really cares (laughs) if there's an open spot or not? But this picture is what happens when I try to get ahead of God and his mercy. I take tomorrow and today, and that box is too big for the paper that's meant to cover just today. I have to stretch something that wasn't meant to stretch. God's mercies weren't meant to stretch into the next day and the next. They were meant for today. 
And it reminds me of the Israelites collecting manna each day. The promise was, when you need it, it'll be there. If you need it, I'll come through. It was about trust. When they tried to take their provision into their own hands and gather for tomorrow, the manna was spoiled when they got to it. Because today's portion is not enough for tomorrow. You're going to need a new supply from your heavenly father. Well, you know, why didn't God just make it where they gathered it for a week or a month or a year? Because he could have. I don't know. I have no idea. You'll have to ask him when you get to heaven if you really want to know. But my guess would be this. God has always operated on a day-by-day schedule with us personally. And he set that precedent from the very beginning. You know what, guys? You don't need to worry about a week down the road. You just need to worry about today. And then tomorrow, I'll be there. You need to worry about it step by step. It's a matter of trust and faith. Yeah, it might be easier to trust me if you have a month's supply right there because, you know, you can make it work. Maybe you can cut a little bit back so you'll have enough for next month. If you know it's not going to spoil, then you can become the one in charge of taking care of your tomorrow. But you need to trust God to take care of your tomorrow. And that was the lesson that he gave the Israelites is, Israel, it's nothing that you're going to do. I'm going to be the one that's going to provide for you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus says this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat? Isn't life more about more than just eating and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Aren't you of more value than these are? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Is there going to be manna tomorrow? Don't worry about it, Israel. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, do the heathens, those who don't know God. This is what they worry about. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. I'm aware that you need to eat. I'm fully aware of what you need. So don't worry about it because I already know. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's taught them how to pray. This comes right after he's taught them how to pray. So it's not a throwaway part of a sermon. Like, okay, yeah, then he said a few, a few words after that, and they weren't really important. No, this is in the middle of the good stuff. And the lesson is don't worry about tomorrow because you don't even know if you're going to be there, number one. We assume that we will. We plan like we will. But if I'm taking my anxieties... I'm taking them somewhere that I'm not even guaranteed of. The Lord may come back before tomorrow. So why am I worried about tomorrow if I don't have everything in order today? Worry about first things first. Take care of today and deal with tomorrow as it comes. Because just as the earth 
doesn't really toil. He gives us the example of the lilies. They just grow. Like, well, yeah, it's a plant. It just grows. Okay, but without the word of God, they would not grow. Without his command, Jesus, in, when he's on earth, he goes to the fig tree, finds a fig tree with no figs, curses it, and it dies. So if the lily does not have the command from God and is not trusting God to help it grow, it's not going to grow because it does trust. Now, it doesn't have a mind like us, but it is dependent. The lilies, the plants, the birds, they are dependent on God to guide them. And are we of not, not of much more importance than those things? So will not God take care of us? And, I, and then I say, oh, me of little faith. Will not God take care of you, oh, me of little faith? Sometimes our walk is a day-by-day and sometimes minute-by-minute process. Because if he's just a God of weekly or yearly provision, then he might be too big for what I need. God, I need to get through this week. But you know what? Right now, that's even too tall of an order. I just need to get through today. I just need to get through the next four hours. So that's great if you're going to get me through the rest of the week, but I need you to get me through right now. And thank God that he's got a plan for my whole life and for everyone else who is on the earth, who has been on the earth and will be on the earth. But really, thank God that when I need him to fit into my situation right now and just walk with me moment by moment and get me through one day at a time or maybe one minute at a time, he is my portion for those moments. He says, do not despise the day of small things because he works step by step in a process. So when I just need the strength to take another step, whether literally or figuratively, he is there with the strength that I need for that step. And then when it's time to step again, he's there with the strength for that step that I don't have to worry about, okay, well, he's given me this yearly provision. Now, how, how do I fit that into right now? No, he's small enough to fit right now and take care of you and provide for you right now. So thank God that he is God in my present. There is something in my situation right now that I can use to cultivate a spirit of gratitude. And it's not just Thank you, Lord, that all things work together for my good. And that's true, and I'm thankful for that. It's biblical, and it's necessary. It gives me hope that things will eventually work out, eventually. But our present situation can be affected by shifting our view right now, that he is my God right now. Not just when things work out, when, th- when everything's over and done, and it's great, and all the good stuff is happening, and woo! Yes, he is God right then, but he's God right now as well, whether I realize it or not. And so I have to shift my perspective to try to find, like we talked about in James, every good and every perfect gift. Find the good and perfect gift in the situation. Because I have the assurance that God works in spite of sin and pain and everything else. Some things just happen because we live in a fallen world. They're not a good and perfect gift from God. Our, you know, our stressful days, good and perfect, is conflict a good and perfect gift from God? No. It is not, but sleep is. Psalms chapter 127 says, I give my beloved sleep. I give them rest. Is death a good and a perfect gift? No, it was never the original plan. But eternal life is a good and a perfect gift. So I may have to endure death, but I have a perfect gift that is waiting for me when I come through these situations. 
The situation might not be a gift from God, but there are things that he chooses to allow. And in those things, he places his good and perfect gifts. Anxiety is not a gift from God, but peace is. Peace that passes all understanding. So thank you, Lord, for your peace. I may not like the situation, but thank you, God, that you have put something in my situation that is a good and a perfect gift to sustain me. We will miss the hand of God right now if we don't learn to look at our present and find the provisions of God, his mercy, his faithfulness, his comfort, and the list goes on and on and on. And maybe the best right now is just, you know what, thank you, Lord, it could be a lot worse. Maybe I've been focusing on what's next instead of appreciating what God is doing right now. Well, you know, but, but when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Can I have, can't I just go and do this? No, just wait. Just wait and you won't have to. Maybe I've been looking too far ahead and I've been getting too caught up in tomorrow that I'm not worried, I'm not looking at today and I'm not being thankful for the provision that God has given me today. Maybe I need to look around a little bit and find the perfect gift that God has promised in his word for our situation. Maybe there's something that I need to find and say, you know what, this isn't from the Lord, but he has given me something. He has given me joy. He has given me peace in this situation that passes all understanding. He's given me protection. You know, finding those things that if, even if the situation is not, you know, is not from God, and God uses everything. I do want to make that clear. He uses everything that comes into our life. But at the same time, his mercies are new every morning. So his mercy's there. There's something that is there in your situation from God that will sustain you and that will keep you. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the present, thankful for the gifts of God. I'm thankful for my present situation where I am in God. And I'm thankful for the presence in the present. I'm thankful for the gifts that God gives me in my moment right now because it would overwhelm me if I had to do it on my own. So I'm thankful that he is here with me with his good and perfect gifts. That's something that I can't do on my own suddenly becomes something that I can get through because of the overcoming power of the Spirit of God. I'd like to close just taking a minute. We thank God for his gifts. Would you just, whatever your situation, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just, you know, one of the things I mentioned, maybe it's something totally different. But let's just take a moment and thank God for the right now, whatever it is. If it's going great, everything is great. Thank him for what he's doing right now. That's fantastic. Maybe you need to find a gift that he's given in your situation to make it, um, to make it bearable and endurable. Maybe we need to thank God. Thank God that he is the God of right now. You know what, Lord, thank you that you're just helping me take one step at a time and that you are God of my right now. Would you take a moment and let's just close thanking God for who he is in our situation. Lord, I thank you, Jesus.